Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. When Jesus noticed how the guests sought out the best seats at the table, he told them a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding celebration, don't take your seat in the place of honor. Someone more highly regarded than you could have been invited by your host. The host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give your seat to this other person. Embarrassed, you will take your seat in the least important place. Instead, when you receive an invitation, go and sit in the least important place. When your host approaches you, he will say, friend, move up here to a better seat. Then you will be honored in the presence of all of your fellow guests. All who lift themselves up will be brought low and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, when you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Katie, for reading our scripture for us. Good morning. So since Bruce already brought it up, uh, yeah, we had some uh, interesting events yesterday. We had some sort of weird power surge at our house, and all of my things in my house that are supposed to either heat or cool or no longer heating or cooling, air conditioner, stove, oven, dryer, it's weird. So, um, right. You can pray about that for me. I'm not sure what's happening. I'm not sure what will happen in the future, but uh, Ainsley... Your song pretty much nailed it for me this morning. I was like, wow, okay, all right, Lord, I get it. This is the stuff that can unravel us, but he's bigger. And thank you for that reminder. But the, earlier in the week, while our oven was still working, uh, we were getting ready uh, for dinner one night. Rachel came downstairs, and she sat at the table with me, and she said, Mom, you know, I just really don't like a lot of the popular music today. Hello, 13 going on 30, you know, like... Who is this mature woman that just sat at my table with me? Why, Rachel? Why? Why? Well, I, she just started telling me that she felt like a lot of the most popular songs today are, are pretty shallow. You know, the lyrics are just pretty shallow. They're not about anything uplifting. They're not really about anything wholesome many of the times. And she added, a lot of it is just musically boring. It's just not creative. It's not unique. It's not really adding anything special or beautiful to the world. And, and we, it just kind of led into a brief little conversation about how different types of songs will impact you. Um, that when you hear a song that's just lyrically shallow and musically boring, it doesn't lift you higher. You know, it doesn't encourage you. It doesn't lift your soul in any way. It can actually lift, take you down a little bit, not make you feel better. But when you hear a song that was written out of love or written out of passion or written out of some sort of calling that has some greater purpose or meaning behind it, and add to that, if the music is just inspired and it is unique and it is creative, you hear a song like that 
it can lift your entire spirit. It can actually lift your mind. It can actually encourage you on a level or give you hope on a level that maybe you didn't have before. So we had that interesting little conversation. And I was, of course, preparing for this sermon. And I thought, you know, that kind of reminds me of the passage from Luke 14. So here Jesus is. He's in a home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees for dinner. And he begins to notice how all the guests are seeking out the places of honor at the table. They were jockeying for the best seats. They were comparing. They were competing. They were grabbing for honor and grabbing for recognition. They were a lot like the popular music today, some of the music today. They weren't bringing anything unique or lovely or beautiful to the dinner experience with that behavior. They thought they were important. They thought they were like that beautiful song that everybody wants to listen to. But they weren't. They weren't doing anything different than anybody else in the world who didn't know all the higher things they knew would be doing. They weren't doing anything different. Anybody could do that. So, you know, they were just living from that prideful center. And it was really showing at this dinner. So here Jesus is. He's at this dinner. And, of course, he doesn't stay silent. What we see here is Jesus getting straight to the heart of the matter with them. He goes straight to the place that's going to make them the most uncomfortable. And he goes to that place that's going to challenge them the most And then he just presses it. He just pushes on it. And he challenges them to approach even normal, everyday events like wedding banquets or dinners from a completely different position. What Jesus teaches them here in this passage, if they would actually listen to it, take it in, and apply it to their lives, would actually Flip their world upside down. Flip it completely upside down. Don't seek the places of honor. Seek the lowest seat. Don't promote yourself. Don't concern yourself with whether or not you will be seen as an important person. Instead, humble yourself and let your host call you higher. Don't surround yourself only with the people who can repay you and do favors in return for what you might do for them, the people who can help advance your status, the people um, who can boost your popularity or your career, or even the people that you're just most comfortable with or that you have the most in common with. No, seek out and invite to your home those who are not like you in many ways and who cannot repay you for what you may do for them. I imagine at this point in the dinner when Jesus is saying all this kind of stuff to them that they're all just looking at each other like, who keeps inviting him to dinner? Who? Who's bright idea every single time when Jesus comes, right? Because Jesus wasn't going anywhere without being on mission. And when he saw some attitudes that were at work in this group of Pharisees, who, by the way, were very concerned about God's kingdom. They were very concerned about who would get in to God's kingdom. But when he saw that there were attitudes at work in them that actually went against everything God's kingdom was about, what everything it stood for, he was going to address it. He wasn't going to stay silent. He was going to teach them what kingdom living actually looked like, what it was actually supposed to be about. So the first thing he needed to address with them 
was this pride that he saw in them. Because if there's anything that goes against what God's kingdom is all about, it's pride, right? So let's talk about that for a second. Um, There's a passage in Genesis 11. It's called the Tower of Babel. And at this point in human history, as Genesis 11 explains it, there was one language over the whole earth, and all the people had settled in this one plain in the land of Shinar, and they said to themselves, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. So they make bricks and they make mortar. And then they say, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. So look, let me ask you, was there anything wrong with them making bricks? Was there anything wrong with them using their ingenuity and their creativity and their skill to build something really awesome and great? No. There was nothing wrong with that at all. God had actually designed them for that. He had actually put that in them. What's wrong with this whole scenario is that the project was coming from a self-centered place. This whole project was about self-promotion. It's about self-glorification rather than from a humble position where God and his will would be promoted, where God would be given glory. Just look at the language they use. Let's build for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. Who is at the center here? Themselves. Who was going to get the glory for this? Themselves. Who was it that the city and that huge tower was supposed to promote? Themselves. But that was not God's intention for humankind. The intention was that they would be co-laborers with God in doing his work in the world. And through that work, God would be glorified and God would be praised. And as they lived in loving relationship with him and in humble submission to his will, then the world would be full of God's love and God's beauty. Look, one of the things God said to humankind after he created them was be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and multiply. Fill the whole earth. And here, they don't want to fill the earth. They want to stay together in their space where they are comfortable. They want to build towers to themselves and make a name for themselves. A whole world of people centered on self, going in direct opposition to what God had created them for and called them to. Look, guys, whenever pride is at work in us, we start building towers. Man, we start building towers of success, of popularity, self-importance, self-advancements, on and on and on. Towers that are meant to bring glory just to us. But that behavior, all of that tower building and self-promoting doesn't actually get us anywhere. It doesn't do anything for us. It's not going to bring more of God's beauty into the world. Living from a prideful position actually sets me in opposition to what God's will is. 
God's will is that my life, that your life would be a blessing to others in his name. That we would lift others up and that we would share the good news of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But when we are concerned about exalting ourselves, what other people think about us, how they look at us, how they perceive us, when we are our top priority, it leaves somebody else feeling slighted, overlooked, ignored, passed over. As I lift myself up, as I keep building that tower to myself and it gets taller and taller and taller, other people end up being the steps I use to climb higher. Whether intentionally or unintentionally. Oh, I didn't see you there. I mean, exactly. Because when you're centered on yourself and your eyes are full of pride, you do not see the people around you and they become casualties of our pride. I don't know about you, but here's something I notice about myself. Whenever I have pride really working hard inside of me, I feel worse about myself. I mean, the pride's over here telling me you're going to feel better if you focus here and you do all this, but I actually feel worse when I'm concerning myself with comparison or with keeping up with others or attaining some sort of status, simply maybe just protecting my own feelings, promoting my own feelings or my own opinions or whatever, the more stressed out I get, the more insecure I get. So I don't know if that's true for you, but I, I bet I'm kind of close. And I don't know why we do it. Maybe we do it because we have this need deep in us to be seen and to be valuable and to have some sort of purpose and to feel important, you know. But what Jesus teaches us is that you are seen. You are valuable. You are important already in God's eyes and real purpose and truly meaningful life do not come from a pride-centered place or from making yourself important in this world. It can't. It's impossible. You are not designed for that. Real purpose and a truly meaningful life that brings about beauty in this world and that brings about God's purposes in this world It comes from a life of humility where God is at my center and then his love compels me to put others first, to concern myself with the needs of others, to seek out those who are the least, inviting them to be included in what God is doing. Humility says, Lord, dismantle anything in me. That is a tower to myself and my glory. Tear it down. You lift me up. Tear all that down. You lift me up as you see fit. This is why Jesus pressed so hard against that pride he saw in these people at this dinner. And it is why he will press hard against the pride that he sees inside of you. Because, see, unless, unless they at the dinner, unless we also reposition ourselves and we take that place of humility, then we're not going to be able to hear the next thing Jesus says about hospitality. Right? Pride cannot hear what's coming next. You have to walk over here and take the position of humility 
to hear what Jesus said, which was basically, look guys, anybody can invite their friends and their relatives to dinner. Anyone can say yes to someone who can pay them back. Anyone can rub shoulders with people they deem important. That may come naturally to you, don't do it. Instead, extend radical hospitality to those who need it, who cannot repay you. Invite them to dinner. Now maybe Jesus didn't mean for them to literally have a dinner and actually go out and invite all these people in, but maybe he did. I think maybe he did. Because think about this, if you actually implemented the wedding banquet scenario, that would be great practice in humility. If you actually implemented the dinner scenario, that would be great practice in hospitality. It would be great practice. And look, we all need the practice, right? Because look, Jesus' teachings, they challenge us to engage on a much deeper level with people than many of us are comfortable with. And if I can't be open to the humility required in the wedding banquet scenario, and if I can't even consider the hospitality of the dinner scenario, then how will I be open to other forms of hospitality towards people who cannot repay me, who require that I pour out an enormous amount of my time or energy or focus or resources when all of it may never benefit me? from a worldly standpoint at all. If I can't be open to the hospitality of the dinner scenario, how open and hospitable will I be when I am presented with larger, much more difficult issues, like how to minister to the homeless in our community or how to treat immigrant families at our borders? You see, Jesus' teachings aren't just theories. They were meant to be applied to real life, to be practically lived out. And look, if either of these real life situations I just pulled into this make us feel a little squirmy and a little uncomfortable this morning, then we're starting to understand just how challenging Jesus' words and teachings were to the hearers in his day because they were facing some really big issues really big situations that if they were actually going to apply what he said, then they were going to have to set themselves aside in some really huge ways. Take what Jesus said about loving your enemies, about loving them, doing good to them, about if someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek, about how if they take your coat, give them your shirt too. Think about that. That's Luke 6, 27 through 38, by the way. I encourage you, look that up later. Read that whole section. It was some hard teaching. It was challenging. Love your enemies. But Jesus, you see, these Romans, they are actually terrible. They are, they are actually horrible people. Jesus. So like they are actual oppressors. They do actual hard, terrible things to us. You don't really mean those enemies, right? And Jesus just says again, love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive others, period, across the board. 
It was hard. But Jesus was saying, don't be like the world. Live according to a different mentality, a kingdom mentality. Display the characteristics of your God. Look, it's the same with radical hospitality. It's hard. It challenges us. But Jesus says, live in a way that displays the characteristics of your God. Be the one who invites who extends, who welcomes without worrying about repayment. Reach out, include others, especially those not like you. And hospitality like that is going to require some serious humility. Setting yourself and your own interests aside for the sake of another to the glory of God. So my challenge for all of us this morning is to be on the lookout for pride. Not in somebody else. (laughs) Okay, it's easy to spot pride in somebody else, right? That person is so prideful. Oh, my word. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about look out for pride in you. Where are you seeing some pride? It's going to maybe be in some really unexpected places. It's going to disguise itself. But where are the places where you get a little edgy someone presses up against you? Where are those places where you self-promote, where you push, push yourself to the front? Just think about it and be brave enough to enter into prayer holding that up. Or if you don't even see it yet, to say, God, show me where it is. Be brave and don't be afraid because your God has your best interest in heart. And he's not going to lead you someplace that he's not going to make it better. Go into that nasty place where your pride lives and work with God to start killing that stuff and pulling it out. So that you can better and better every day start displaying the characteristics of your God. Be on the lookout. Where is it in you? Where is it in you? Pray for our leaders of our country, whether you agree with them or not. Pray for the leaders of our state. Pray for the leaders in our community. Pray for them. Pray for how you can support and how you can help. Pray for for their own humility, for them to be guided in wisdom and in strength. Lift your country up. There's a lot of big stuff going on right now. Don't take a prideful position and just point and blame. Enter in in a prayerful posture, in a humble posture. This is a great week to focus on that. A great week to focus on that. But let's tie all of this in to this this dinner, this banquet, this feast that we're going to have together this morning. And consider this. Christ did not owe us anything that he should go to the cross on our behalf. He did not have to do that, but he chose the path of humility. He chose the path of hospitality. He gave himself, poured himself out for our benefit and not his own. And we can't repay him for that. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can give him of equal value. We are the poor. We are the crippled, the lame, the blind. We are the foreigners. We are the outcasts, the homeless. And yet he invites us to come and be his friends and to feast with him. And he calls us sons and daughters. This is the good news. This is our victory. 
And so then what he calls us to as we receive that and we enter into that as his sons and daughters, it's not repayment. He does not call us to repayment. He calls us to live our life in grateful response to what we have received. A life where we choose, as Christ did, the position of humility and the position of hospitality. So that our lives become reflections of our God. We display the characteristics of our God in this world. And others are lifted up. As a result, this is how we are to live. This is the call. It is hard and it is challenging, but here it is before us today. And my hope and prayer is that you will be brave to do the hard work that this requires and take that position of humility as your Savior did. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your grace that calls us to you, in spite of our weaknesses and in spite of our shortcomings and our sins, Lord, we thank you that you are a good, gracious, loving God. Thank you, Lord, for all of the hospitality that you show us. Give us the courage and the strength and the grace we need to reflect you in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we move now,